by AM640, more stimulating talk. Well, it looks like Steve Bannon will be doing an interview for the Mueller investigation, uh, avoiding grand jury. We'll be talking about that coming up in the next hour for Swamp Watch. Also, the fake news awards. They had been rescheduled until today. There was a... uh White House Deputy Press Secretary who said, yeah, I don't want to get out in front of this, but we will have an announcement about that soon. So I don't know if that's going to push it back or if they're just going to issue a statement or what, but I know a lot of people have been waiting for those fake news awards. To Orange County we go, where DA Tony Rakakis announced today that they have charged that guy, that friend of Blaze Bernstein, with murder. Andrew Mullenbeck is on the story, joins us now. Andrew, what's the latest? Yeah, so far, just the murder charge. Other charges could be coming as well. Uh, Not much new came out of the charging documents or the news conference at the DA's office. Uh, But here are some of the interesting tidbits that we did get. Prosecutors say Samuel Woodward cleaned out his car after the murder, trying to cover up whatever evidence was in there. And they also say that Woodward returned to the park after Bernstein's body had been buried. They wouldn't go into that if he was trying to bury it further or do anything else in the park. They're, they're kind of staying quiet about that. But they did say, excuse me, that he went back to the park. And at this time, he was under some surveillance. So that may have played a part in investigators really looking into his role in the murder. Of course, the big question in the last few days has been what kind of relationship these two high school classmates had or when they were in high school. And D.A. Tony Rakaka says prosecutors are looking into special circumstances in the murder. The uh, uh, question of a hate crime is uh, one question that we have about the possibility of special circumstances. And uh, uh, so we're looking to see whether or not that might be supported. So he's not ruling it out at this point. He says it is possible that there could be some hate crime consideration. But he's also at the same time saying we don't have that yet. There's no evidence that they've gotten so far to indicate that this was some sort of hate crime uh, rage involving uh, whatever relationship these two had. Now, is this guy going to show up in court today? It's my understanding he's supposed to appear sometime after 1.30 this afternoon. Uh, and, you know, sometimes these things get continued. Uh, I have no indication at the moment that he would not appear. Uh, one of the other issues is what the bail is going to be set at. At the moment, it's a million dollars, and prosecutors say they really want that number to go up, but uh, there would be a possibility at this bail hearing that uh, the suspected killer could post and, and get out. What would what do we know about the interaction between those two right before Blaze Bernstein died? I read something about DNA evidence recovered from a sleeping bag. Yeah, blood in a sleeping bag. But as far as their interaction before, it was the timeline that we've been presented with so far it really starts just January 2nd in some Snapchat messages back and forth. Uh, apart from that, uh, prosecutors and investigators haven't given us any timeline uh, further back if this had been a conversation or if they'd been planning to meet. But it was January 2nd when they communicated on Snapchat. And again, Rakakis says that prosecutors don't know really what led to ultimately the stabbing death murder. As far as motive is concerned, um, we, we, we haven't completed the investigation. So we have a ways to go before we can uh, actually uh, determine so- something about motive that would be supported by by the evidence. So really the, the first and second cuts that I played there kind of go together. Motive and the question of whether this had anything to do with a hate crime. Uh, and, and that could 
present additional charges and uh, certainly a sentencing enhancement if prosecutors allege that. But at the moment, it's just that murder charge. The family wasn't there today. Were they at the... Uh, at- no, not at the news conference. But it is possible that the family will be at the, the hearing later this afternoon. And the idea uh, of the potential for hate crime charges, what what would they have to prove in order to add that as uh, as a enhancement here? Well, one of the interviews that Woodward allegedly gave to investigators was that he admitted to using a racial slur after he says, excuse me, not a racial slur, uh, a gay slur, uh, after he says Bernstein kissed him the night they were together, and then he kind of pushed him back and and didn't want that advance, Uh, but he admitted to using that term. Uh, So that would be one thing they look into, uh, but it could well be some of the messages that went back and forth as well. And of course, talking with other people who knew Woodward, uh, was there some belief system that he had or some grievance that he had uh, that might lead them to believe that uh, that led him to stab Blaze Bernstein? Andrew, thank you. Appreciate it. You got it. Andrew Mullen back there. Well, listen, this was a guy that went to Blaze Bernstein's house, picked up Blaze and took him to the house. He wasn't forced into any of that. It seems like once it turned physical, maybe he was fighting against is obviously speculation, but maybe he was fighting against the fact that he uh, liked men. He had the feelings. Uh, he had the feelings and he didn't like it. Uh, Blaze acted on what he thought was uh, was a mutual romantic feeling. And uh, that's when it got violent. We also don't know the conversation that took place. Uh, what if they did have some sort of a consensual relation, physical relationship that night? And that's where the sleeping bag comes in, I think. Well, and then Blaze says something like, "Hey, I've told other people about you," or right. "I told," because there are text messages that that Blaze had with other friends about this guy and about, about him not wanting to go public with this, right? And but that that Blaze wanted to to get together with him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of different stuff that comes out. And the unfortunate part about it for investigators is they're dealing with months old text messages between Blaze and other friends. And they're dealing with this guy's own words about his description about what happened that night. So, uh, you know, a first or second degree murder might have to be then sort of, I don't know, watered down to a a manslaughter uh, just based on what this guy says happened. Coming up next, well, we are going to be giving away $1,000, so that's exciting. Also, there was a protest you may not have heard about over the weekend. It was a protest at... California State Psych Hospital. It was the inmates protesting. What were they protesting over, Shannon? Well, it seems like the hospital was cracking down on the devices that these sexually violent predators had had. You're asking devices? Yeah, apparently there's a rampant porn problem among sexually violent predators in our state hospital system. Isn't that lovely? Great. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, given you the possibility to win $1,000. Your shot at $1,000 now. 
Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. And don't forget, you got to answer that phone. Uh, the call, if you win, will be from a number that you don't necessarily recognize. And if you don't pick up, they can't get a hold of you. They'll move on to somebody else and give them $1,000. But um, you'll have another chance an hour from now. And then an hour after that, in fact, all day through 6.20 tonight on the Conway Show, we're giving away $1,000 an hour. Well, the people who work at the California State Psychiatric Hospital in Colinga decided to crack down on devices like flash drives that the inmates have been using to pass around porn, child porn. Turns out there's a bit of a child porn epidemic at the state psychiatric hospital. What? You don't say. You're asking yourself, self, self? who lives in the state who psychiatric hospital? In the state psychiatric hospital. Excellent question. Mostly sexually violent predators. That is where they are held. And apparently they're passing around flash drives filled with child porn. Who's paying for this? We are. What? The patients did not like this crackdown. They felt like it was violating their rights. So they decided to protest the new restrictions. They didn't like the fact that they are no longer allowed to have flash drives. Yeah, they protested over the weekend. Now, this, I don't, I know this is going to be crazy for you. I shouldn't use that word. I know this is going to seem unusual for you, but I don't know anybody in Colinga right now. I don't know anybody in the state hospital. But what they did was they broke windows, they damaged message boards, they clogged toilets, they uh, showed disruptive behavior in the form of refusing to follow directions, disrupting patient head counts, threats, and property damage. Now, the reaction on behalf of state psychiatric officials was, fine, you guys want to do this? Here's what we're going to do. No electronic devices, no phones. And no visitors over the weekends like are usually allowed until we figure out exactly how we're going to handle this. L.A.-based attorney Ezra Landis represented Koalinga patients in a class action lawsuit saying that there were poor conditions there. Said he was concerned that these the telephones were shut down or confiscated and that the detainees were unable to consult with their lawyers. Well, that's just too damn bad. Maybe they shouldn't have been passing around all the child porn. Listen to this. There's a there's a woman, Janice Belushi. She runs the Alliance for Constitutional Sex Offense Laws. And she has a problem with these restrictions. Of course she does. She takes up uh she takes up sex offenders and she, I you know I I feel like we've talked to her. I we've talked re- about her before. I know we've talked about her before because I remember the name. Because it's just bizarre to us that there would be somebody that would uh, make a life out of sticking up for child pornographers. I, and remember, I mean, there are other opportunities for you to have a good heart for things. Absolutely. You, you could even say you could be like a um, work for the innocent project. You, you, you know, could, you could save rattlesnakes if you want to. I mean, they're a valued part of our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Sexually violent predators who uh, who communicate via child porn and use it as a barter system behind bars and don't let you uh, you know listen a state psychiatric hospital is basically behind bars why are you 
Why are you carving out hours of your day to fight on their behalf? Yeah, it's not like they are being uh, made to wear pink underwear or something like Arpaio's crazy prison rules. They're just being told that they can't pass around flash drives which contain child pornography on them. And that's the cause? That's your soapbox that you're going to stand up on? I mean, it's one thing to be a true believer and to be a public defender or whatever and believe that there are certain people who are unfairly put in the system through no fault of their own, whether it be poverty or or what have you, and and, and wanting to to mount a very good defense for for people who you feel have been disenfranchised. But this is beyond my understanding of, of how... One could operate, and because because I think your your point is that in some of those cases, people are disenfranchised. They find themselves on the wrong sides of society for whatever reason, because they had bad parents, because their situation is bad, because they've fallen on hard times, because of uh, uh, they came from a bad neighborhood, whatever it was. That they feel like they need to have a defense. They want to. They want a fresh start. They want to start over, and they want to have the opportunity in the legal system to do so. Sexually violent predators don't fall under those categories. They're not in the position they're in because of some societal thing. They're in the position they're in because their brain is broken. And and trying to defend somebody or argue on their behalf because their brain is broken in a, in a way that puts all of us at risk doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I I don't... This is one of those slivers of society that i just don't understand i just can't wrap my head around why janice does this uh why she's fighting on behalf of what appears to be sexually violent predators and not and their, even and their not even to defend to, them it's just their yeah their freedom to have flash drives with child porn on them and in, in, in prison or in in this psych hospital just it's okay I guess everybody's got a thing. I mean, she should be living in the freaking psych hospital. She wants to pitch a tent out in the uh, yard there. I'm sure that they would have her. Coming up next, this was a bizarre one. L.A. County Sheriff's deputy charged with selling drugs, offering to hire other cops to protect dealers and drug transactions. Sounds like a good business. Well, you know, there's good cops and bad cops. There's good air traffic controllers and bad air traffic controllers. Gary and Shannon will continue. Deputy Kenneth Collins arrived to what he thought was going to be a drug deal. He was going to help facilitate yesterday, yesterday morning, and was met by the FBI. That's just got to be a... It's got to suck. That's got to be a gut punch. I've never witnessed that in person. I mean, you only see them on TV and in movies, but that's just... This is why you don't operate a large-scale drug trafficking scheme. Look at you being all judgy. I mean, you're right. That's probably the logical way to avoid uh, FBI sting operations is to not be involved in um, drug trafficking. But... This this guy was uh, bragging that he had hired other law enforcement officers to provide security to dealers. And that he could assault people for his clients. 
Interesting. So he's a sworn deputy here. L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Got a nice little pension lined up, you know, put some years in with the department. Nice little life that you carve out for yourself and your family. And it wasn't enough. Wants to earn a little extra cash. So why not? I'd watch this movie. Wouldn't you? Uh, Have I watched this movie? I was going to say, I I think we've seen this movie. Uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, I don't, there was a lot of drug trafficking. There was just kind of looking the other way when drugs were going on. Um, but the thing is they had agreed to this, this new version of this, this, uh, the latest transport plan set for yesterday after the FBI had already been dealing with this guy. Um, he showed up to a meeting to talk about the security plan for a marijuana grow house and talk to this undercover FBI agent about what he was willing to do. He could provide security. He had he had three teams of guys already working security around drug operations in the area, including one that was protecting a different illegal grow house designed, uh, disguised as an auto repair shop. So he shows the guy, the FBI agent, he shows him his uh, sheriff's badge, lifts his shirt, shows him his gun to prove that, in fact, he was who he said he was, and sells him two pounds, sells the FBI agent, two pounds of marijuana for six grand as a sort of a gesture of good faith, perhaps, to demonstrate his ability to, first of all, come up with two pounds of pot, but also to carry out the deal. He told this agent that he had connections to marijuana operations in Northern California and could sell the agent $4 million of marijuana each month. Holy hell. That's a lot. You know what it sounds like? Hmm. It sounds like uh, Breaking Bad. Just that trying to provide as much product as you can in order to generate the cash that you can. So what they do is they develop a security team that is then going to provide security while they drive several pounds of meth from Pasadena to Vegas. And this guy says, listen, I know we're expensive, but we're cops. We're worth it. Right. We deal with a lot of high-end clients. 25 grand is a big deal, but we guarantee that you get your shipment from here to there and they can make profits of upwards of 5 million. So, a price tag for security should be nothing compared to what it is that you stand to gain when you sell your product on the streets of Vegas. What a good idea. Well, and if you're a cop, how how extensive would you <laughs> I think I mean bad idea, good idea. <laughs> I would have thought originally that it, that would just meant that the cops would drive this stuff. On an off day, they'd make the 4-hour, four 4.5-hour four trip to Vegas and back or whatever. Yeah. It gets much more extensive than that. Um one of the other guys who's charged in this case drove a lookout car. Another one rode with the other cover, undercover agent in the vehicle that had the drugs and cash in it. And a third was in yet another car keeping an eye on the back. By the way, the meth that was, car- that was carried, not real meth. Hmm. But in exchange for as much as a quarter million dollars, they were going to do a huge transport. They were talking about uh, 20 kilos of coke, 6 kilos of meth, and cash. But he said, hey, why don't we do this? The deputy says, why don't we just fill up an entire moving truck? That way you guys get all kinds of product where you need it, and we get a bigger payout in the form of a quarter million dollars. That plan 
was supposed to take place yesterday. That's when they got arrested by the FBI. This guy, Kenneth Collins, 15-year veteran of the of the department, 50 years old, got a picture of him. Uh, KTLA had a picture of him when he uh, is teaching ex-offenders at the LASD's Emerging Leaders Program in La Puente back in 2014. Wow. Uh, Hell of a racket. That is incredible. While he was there, this Emerging Leaders Academy, um, deputies will act as mentors for the guys who are getting out and want to get back into uh, society and stay out of prison. He's featured in an article... And he was quoted as saying he grew up poor before he joined the military and later went into the sheriff's department. And in the cognitive behavior program he went through to be able to teach forced him to change his perception of himself from that of a hardcore deputy. He said, I was so used to putting my foot on their neck. This was kind of foreign to me. It goes against what we do, our profession. So I don't know if he uh, then caught up with some of those guys that he was teaching and may have been involved with them in the what do you call it? extracurricular activities that he was involved with outside of the sheriff's department? Um, hey, here's a question a lot of people have had about the new laws uh, when it comes to recreational pot in California. What about those people who have previous pot convictions back when it up was illegal? What can they do about it? And chances are they can probably get their record cleaned of any pot violations. We'll tell you how to get rid of your convictions when we come back. (laughs) Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon, we will have all the latest coming up at 1 o'clock about everything we know That went on inside that Paris home where those 13 kids, some of them adults, were held captive there in Paris. Also, Steve Bannon looks like he's going to sit down with the Mueller team, answer some questions. The first inner circle member, I guess the president's inner circle member, to sit down for the special counsel. Well, one of the uh, one of the issues that comes up when we talk about California's recreational pot laws is that there is a part of Prop 64 that allows you, if you have been convicted of marijuana um, violations that are that would now be legal, you have an opportunity to apply to get your records completely changed. If you had a charge that would have either been a misdemeanor under Prop 64 or completely legal under 64, you have the right to go back to that court, whatever sentenced you, to petition to have your record changed. And a lot of people are still unaware of it. They're saying that as of January 1st, the state received fewer than 5,000 court petitions for resentencing or reclassification. And this is not just a uh, this is not just a feel good thing in terms of changing your your criminal record. A lot of times it's a roadblock. If you have a felony that would be reduced to a misdemeanor under this law, that felony may be keeping you from getting a good job, maybe keeping you from voting. You're Tom Lock Fenta. I'm what? You're Tom Lock Fenta is one of those guys. Oh, I see. He's from Compton, originally from St. Louis. 
Vice did an article about him, hit a rough patch about a decade ago after being arrested for the sale and transportation of pot. He says that this fell just below the threshold of trafficking in terms of severity. The conviction has continued to define his life. Uh, He once landed acting gigs while building a career in entertainment, but now he's stuck with manual labor jobs, and he's getting older. And that's not easy to do as you get older. He says he's only can do uh, minimum wage jobs. So he's very anxious about this. And they admit that part of the problem, California's Bureau of Cannabis Control understands that part of the problem is the focus, the main focus of all of the news coverage, of all of the state's efforts have been licensing recreational marijuana shops and uh, figuring out all of the regulations. So when it comes to the education and the outreach issue for telling people that they can expunge their records, it first of all, it doesn't fall to any one group in state government. It's just basically, for the most part, a bunch of pro bono lawyers who are out there who are excited to to help out. They just got to figure out the best way to do it. So they're relying on social media. They're relying on community partners on what they're calling expungement fairs. And at an event like that, uh, an attorney, a paralegal will help you with your criminal history and try to figure out the web of paperwork that it takes to get through before you can have your your record changed. Maywood is the scene of the newest local recreational marijuana dispensary. Yesterday it opened. People stood in long lines, snaked around the building into a nearby parking lot. In that parking lot, by the way, was a taco truck. What better to have outside a recreational pot dispensary than tacos? Tacos are delicious. Would you stand in line? I haven't had tacos in so long. I haven't had good taco in a while. Probably been like a month. Would you stand in line though for a taco? No, for pot. Probably not. Just this I place to, is I called the, the pictures that I saw from January second. The two shops that are, uh, in West Hollywood that opened up, the only ones in LA County, and the lines of people. I made unfortunate and bad characterizations of those people simply based on their looks. I don't mind admitting that. Maybe you would be less judgy if you didn't spend your... If I was high? Yeah, Yeah. A, if you were high. B, if you didn't spend your evenings watching TLC. I could spend my evenings high watching TLC. You could do that. Or you could spend your evenings watching television of, like, everyday people, you know? (laughs) Like what? Like, this is us. That's not everyday people. Yes, That's not, it is. Also, not reality. What do you mean? It's not everyday people. That's why the show's so good. It's exactly everybody's family. The show Doctor Pimple Popper is a true look at people who are suffering from conditions that are ignored by normal people. I just feel like ever since you went down this TLC hole, spending hours watching their programming every night, you come to work with a permanent face like this. Yeah, because the lady's legs wouldn't stop growing. And that other lady's baby's head wouldn't stop growing. These are serious things. Now, imagine if I was high when I was watching that. Kent Via is one of the people that stood in line that you profiled. He's 23 years old, and he got in line with his brother at 8 a.m. yesterday to be one of the first people to get into the store. They live down the street. 
And they're excited to see the tax money from the sales go towards building playgrounds for kids in the community, well, getting the, the YMCA open. Why don't they just give money to the YMCA? Because they want pot. I know, but... This way, it's a... it's a. Uh, you don't have to... You don't have win-win. To, but don't couch it in the, I'm so excited that my tax revenue is going to be used for municipal purposes. Just say, I want to get high, man. Hey, did you ever get high and go to the boat show? No. Doesn't that sound like a fun afternoon? No. Well, we've got a family four-pack of tickets. And you have to, to the LA your, boat show. Your own pot, right? Yeah, yeah. This doesn't come with pot. Got it. Got it. This will be at the Fairplex in Pomona, January 18th through the 21st, uh, Thursday noon to 8, Friday and Saturday 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., Sunday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. The, the newest models, latest marine gear, tech gadgets, accessories, anything and everything a boater needs. So how do you get tickets? <laughs> LosAngelesBoatShow.com, or, sl- Slurry McSlur said. Sorry. And uh, you could also call right now. Be caller number, what do you want to do? Let's do caller number six. All right. Caller number six. Yeah. You want to give the number? Oh, 1-800-520-1534, 800-520-1KFI. Yes. God bless on, the United States. Yeah. Thank right. you very much. Sure, United States. You need water? 1-800-520-1KFI, <laughs> caller number six. Going to win a four-pack of tickets to the L.A. Boat Show. Coming up next, everything everyone's talking about everywhere. We'll get you caught up on Gary and Shannon.